And welcome, Rugby Rant fans. Guess what, baby? It's the Rugby Rant episode 88. Can't believe it. We're inching closer and closer to officially having a numbered episode 100, even though we've already had 100 episodes because we used to split everything up. But packaging everything together, we're up to 88. I'm the big guy, Scott Ferrara. That's Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, baby. And uh, we're rock and rolling tonight. Um, Our buddy Ty, uh, not here with us, but that's okay. Um, You know, real life gets to you. And uh, we appreciate everything Ty does and can't wait to have him back on the show next week. Um, so and we can, right. we can talk about him now that he's not here a little bit yeah, too. Exactly. You know, we can talk about him, you know, all of his shortcomings, you know, everything you, you really want to say publicly, you forget because you're saying it on a podcast. That's a Burt Kreischer quote. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're here. Episode 88. It's, it's Thursday night or Friday, depending if you're watching on TRN and we're going to hit you with the around the pitch segment. So, obviously, our round-the-pitch segment, we're kind of going back and forth here. Rob, kick it off. What's your first topic? Oh, well, um, you know, as of the taping, I just came back from being in St. Louis uh, for uh, a lot of fun and festivities in and around Lindenwood University. And one of the big things I want to send out in my around-the-pitch is a shout-out to Lindenwood University's Josh Macy. It's his 50th win as head coach at the university. Um, And as I said, there was a lot of festivities because it was a very symbolic victory um, as it came with a statement win, 39 to 7 over Life University. Life has been one of those programs that's really, at least in the 15th game, has has edged out Lindenwood over the last couple seasons. And this is the first time that I can remember that Lindenwood has actually won the conference. So they get a bye first round in the 15th playoff, and they're feeling uh, pretty high from that. Uh, it also came on the day after the Sevens team received their CRC Sevens uh, 2021 National Championship rings. So that was a big deal. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to the playoffs. They're going to host the first round of the, their first playoff game. So that's really an exciting thing. A lot of great things happen at the LU program. So pretty proud of the group, the boys, and uh, super uh, proud of uh, Coach Macy. And shout out to Preston, the ball peen Hammerschmidt, uh, <laughs> being part of that 2021 Sevens uh, championship team. Yeah. Um, so I'm going with World Rugby. World Rugby actually put out a um, three and a half minute video um, featuring friend of the show, a friend of the show, Cat Roach. As she, it was a behind the scenes as she prepares for the Ireland versus Whale match that she was the official of. She was working the middle of the field for that match. I'm glad to see her doing her thing at the TikTok Six Nations. But go to World Rugby Facebook and all their social media and check out how she prepares for her week to get up to to officiate those big matches. Remember, we're growing fans one game, uh, one fan at a time. We're growing the game one North American official and player at a time. So I love to see it. 100%. Uh, For my second around uh, the pitch, um, news out of Dallas. Uh, We heard that on, um, I think, it. well, it's come out here uh, as of, today or Sunday, um, about a week after. But on the 20th, uh, there was some off-team event that was happening. Uh, Not many details. Um, There might be some legal action involved, so we want to stay away from getting too specific because we don't want to impact that at all. But apparently some players were on a footbridge when it collapsed. Um, They fell about seven feet. There were nine players involved. 
uh, and uh, several injuries. Uh, a couple of players were injured for, you know, with some serious injuries, season ending injuries. And, and we first of all want to um, just uh, throw a, a shout out to them and hope that they have a speedy recovery and just say how sorry we are that, that this is how their 2022 season ended. Um, but we do know that some, some other teams in the league are picking up and, and providing some players as cover a couple guys from NOLA, Charlie Halla, Jack Webster, uh, Carson uh, Schumacher and Augusto Bohm, who's a, a Chilean uh, national team player are providing some coverage. So, um, hopefully Dallas will be able to survive this uh, and have a good second half of the season. And, uh, you know, it's it's one good thing to come of it, if you could say it is, again, you're seeing teams pitching to help Dallas, uh, you know, feel the competitive team um, after, you know, a, a crazy accident that you know, was unfortunate. Um, so my second topic is actually the Rugby Sevens Collegiate Championships. Uh-huh. Um, being held at Fifth Third Bank Stadium this year um, in Atlanta. And um, it's going to be broadcast on Peacock. And there's 60 teams over three tiers, uh, three division tiers, three each for men and women. I just want to break down. So you have a men's and women's gold, a men's and women's red, and a men's and women's blue. Um, in the men's gold division right now, University of Arizona, Central Washington, Indiana University Life, Lindenwood, uh, Ohio State, um, St. Mary's College, the second-rate Gales, as we call them for Iona, and UCLA. Um, eight more teams um, are will be named, um, including at-large bids to round out the uh, bracket and, like, you know, the winners of the Red River Conference and the Rocky Mountain Conference tournament that haven't happened yet, they'll be in there as well. Um, the women's gold division, Central Washington, Dartmouth, Harvard, Life, Lindenwood, and Penn State. This division um, basically combines the NIRA teams and the D1 elite teams. Um, the NIR, uh, NIRA qualifiers will round out this bracket um, as well as some at-large bids as well. Um, we'll talk about the men's red division, University of Florida, Long Beach State, and University of Tennessee. There's a lot to fill out here. Pacific, Western, Heart of America, Lone Star, um, NCRC, Mid-America Conference Champions, plus some at-large bids. And then the, men, the women's uh, red division, the men's blue division, and the women's blue division also have things like the big, th- you know, with the, depending on how the Big Ten tournaments shake out, how the Gold Coast tournament shakes out, a lot of at-large bids. So they still are rounding out those teams for all those divisions. Um, so very excited to see. Yeah, you know, it, it, just as a sidebar, you know, somebody that follows obvious college rugby for obvious reasons, it's great news because we're seeing a lot of tremendous sevens rugby happening. And, and of course, being the Olympic um, form of rugby that's played, it's great news to see some young talent developing both on the men's and women's side. Just kind of makes me wonder at what point does college rugby kind of get on the same page so we have one consistent calendar that all college rugby programs can follow. So hopefully we'll see that sometime in the future. But in the meantime, enjoy the the, the tournament in Atlanta. And uh, then two weeks later, the one, the CRC is down there in New Orleans. Um, and finally, for my third around the pitch, uh, we're going to be hearing from Sam Windsor later on in the uh, episode, and he's going to talk a bit about his 50th cap. I want to go uh, to where it all starts and throw out a big congratulations to a Chicagoan as a young man that I coached a little bit when he was a knee high to a groundhog, if you will, if he was ever that small, because Joey Baki is a, a rather large fellow, um, but former Naperville Crusader, 
uh, Nequa Valley Wildcat and Western Michigan Bronco. I mentioned all those because they got to be proud of the roots. We need to start celebrating where we come from and how get to where we are. But Joey Baki earned his first cap with Utah, Utah Warriors. Congratulations, my man. Um, keep keep collecting them, brother. Keep collecting them. And uh, my final around the pitch, I'm kind of rounding it out with uh, Nigel Owens. And it's funny, um, if you guys are Patreon members, go to patreon.com forward slash rugby rant pod, $3 a month. You can see the second portion of our rugby rant uh, that's, that comes out. And the topic is actually about this. Nigel Owens talking about some of the law changes. And the number one thing he said was we need to scrap the goal, uh, the goal line drop. Um, and we'll talk about a little more whether we should or shouldn't in the rant. But Nigel Owens wrote, um, as for goal line drops, I was a big fan initially because I felt it would prevent attacking teams from numerous pick and goes near the try line with teams instead attempting to move the ball wide to avoid being held up and losing possession. But I'm not sure it has worked as planned. We still see plenty of pick and goes until teams get over, uh, and we still see plenty of malls, and the number of collisions hasn't decreased. We're also seeing fewer scrums, so I'm not sure really that's a good thing. Interesting. We'll talk more about that on the rugby ramp portion of the show. And uh, before we actually get to that portion, we're going to take a word from our sponsors. With over 37 years of experience, American Rugby Outfitters have been dedicated to providing quality rugby gear to those who like to get dirty. The ARO team prides itself in delivering the highest quality rugby gear that will withstand the punishment rugby dishes out. Brands such as Adidas, Barbarian, Gilbert, Canterbury, and Protec will deliver when the game gets tough. Whether you need team uniforms, boots, bags, field equipment, or swag for the Postmaster Social, ARO is your source for quality rugby gear. They can set up your club or business with a team store like they did for us to ensure every member looks as good as the pros. If the international game is your vibe, ARO will carry you across the line with officially licensed gear from the Eagles, Springboks, All Blacks, England, Ireland, and Wales, amongst others. Visit RugbyGear.com and check out all that the folks from American Rugby Outfitters have to offer. Use the code RANT15 to get a 15% discount site-wide. As an added bonus, when the items in your cart are $100 or more, you get free shipping to anywhere in the continental United States. Don't forget to check out our line of Rugby Rant gear available exclusively at RugbyGear.com. Don't forget to use Rant15 to get 15% off your order site-wide. American Rugby Outfitters, dedicated to the toughest demands in the world's toughest game. And welcome, fans, to the rant portion of the show. As you know, I'm the big guy, Scott Ferrara. That's Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. We have two ranters uh, uh, facing off against Rob today. I am on uh, MC duties here because, again, as you guys notice, you notice Rob's never on the MC side. He's always participating because he's always trying to catch up in the overall wins category. And, you know, I can't claim myself the winner because my name's not Ty Braga. Anyway, I just want to welcome to the show Derek Brissett of uh, LaRouge Rugby and Arminta Gunkel, who is the social media coordinator for Young Glory which is the OG's pathway. Both Derek and Arminta have been on the show before quite a few times. We love having them on. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. How come Ty's never here when I'm on? Is he just like, I don't know. It's a Canadian thing, bro. He doesn't oh, like Canada. And I just want to say to all the fans out there, if they watch the the Academy Awards or was it the Oscars, uh, if if I lived anywhere close to New York, I'd walk over to Scott's house and, and slap him right across his face for that comment. <laughs> Listen, earlier. You'd have to catch me, old man. I think I still have some quickness on you. Anyway, <laughs> not a chance. Uh, for those 
for those of you that may be new to the uh, the rant portion of the show, what we're going to do is we're going to give our guests two minutes to talk about a topic at hand, and then we're going to kind of go into old form, and I'm going to grade them on what's going on. Um, so the topic we decided to to talk about today is, um, you know, the, recently I think it was uh, on the 23rd, the uh, high performance review for Rugby Canada report came out, um, and it was very interesting. Um, Rugby Canada received the results of their independent review of its high performance programs that the board directors commissioned this fall um, after there was some concern raised about the effectiveness of and the culture with the programs. Um, you know, we talked about this previously uh, with almost, I would say, the implosion of the you know, tournaments uh, in the Olympics. Um, the the derision in the women's game um, among the women uh, players um, and then some key positional changes uh, in the, in, in the coaching and the coaching staffs of that women team uh, after there's some of the concerns were there. And I think it just, it was one of those things that kicked up to uh, to the board of directors and say, we had to take a look. So in the 18 page report, they talk about um, 12 key insights. So there's 12 key performance review insights that are broken up into three categories. Uh, the first three, uh, excuse me, first four are under the category of strategy. The next two are under the category of structure. And uh, the next six are in the category of culture. So I'm just going to go through them. So from a strategy perspective, Rugby Canada ha- does not have a high-performance strategy. Number two, high-performance development pathways are inconsistently effective and limit short- and long-term program aspirations. Number three, distrust arising from Rugby Canada's opaque management of its general fund has negative impacts across the high-performance program. The final strategy portion Number four, Rugby Canada's unclear national government's role limits high-performance program effectiveness. So the next tour is structure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rugby Canada's current organizational structure and resourcing are unable to support four high-performance teams, right? So that's men's 15s, women's 15s, men's 7s, and women's 7s. Uh, the final structure uh, portion is ineffectiveness of corporate and organizational government governance, which exposes Rugby Canada to significant risk. And then the, the last are all culture-related. Rugby Canada's poor relationship with the Canadian rugby community is a constraint on the high-performance program. Rugby Canada has failed to create a healthy and high effective, excuse me, create a healthy and effective high-performance culture. Athletes do not view the high-performance program as a safe and inclusive environment. Rugby Canada's communication practices worsen high-performance program issues. The high-performance program's approach and support to leadership and coaching must evolve. And finally, Change is possible, and many hope to be part of it. You know, I think there's some uh, damning things that that are that are just in those twelve pieces um, on on page three of the re- of the eighteen page report. But also, I think there's some parallels on some of the things, and maybe you guys will talk about it that we see on the USA rugby side. Um, so it's it's going to be very interesting. There's a, been a lot of talk. I'm sure the Rouge guys will be talking about it uh, soon. So Derek, your two minutes starts now, buddy. Two minutes to go through all this. All right. <laughs> can you just can you just hold up the yellow card? Honestly, I, well, honestly, honestly, I'll probably I'll probably belay that a little bit because it is a lot to to on. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So I guess um, it's a long time coming. I mean, obviously, one of the points that the the full like you said 18, 19 page review document kind of indicates too is that it's a good thing for Rugby Canada to make this public information. Um, which is something that they really haven't been doing. I know uh, you already alluded to um, some of the madness that happened last year, especially within 
relation to the uh, the sevens team, especially in the fallout of the Olympics. And none of the information of what really happened from that is public at all. Um, and yeah, but I think one of the things that kind of reading the review and reading like, you know, the insights and everything, there's nothing that's overly surprising. Um, you know, I think the opening statement of Rugby Canada does not have a high performance strategy. It seems it's both very blunt, <laughs> maybe kind of funny and probably accurate based on this. And uh, You know, you kind of like go through it and you go through the document and it's like there's, you know, they're citing like, you know, communication issues, um, leadership issues, leadership having struggling to communicate um obvious cultural issues they even highlight they kind of vaguely allude to some things i think they just generally refer to like publicly facing cultural problems and stuff which obviously made pretty big news over the course of the past like couple years and yeah and it's just it the culture is obviously very problematic and ultimately kind of just sort of ending the only real positive thing that the whole insight really had to say was that a lot of people want to be part of the change, which I suppose is a nice thing to be able to say at the end, um, your token positive thing, I guess. I think though, kind of like looking at it, there's obviously, there was so nothing in it was really super surprising, but it was interesting to see like some of the statements, um, is they they interviewed I believe it said like 108 of the players that are currently on the top four high performance teams um, across the men's women's side of and and I think you know looking at it and seeing the statements that is like the player um, players have mentioned that they're not proud to wear the jersey um, is definitely obviously something that nobody's probably going to say publicly but it comes out in the report and you know there was the one section where they're talking about the the strained relationship with the rugby canada community which if anybody went on twitter during a rugby canada game i'm sure is not much of a surprise to anybody either but saying that like there's a number of alumni have mentioned that they quit playing rugby or they retired not because they weren't good enough to play on the high performance teams anymore but because they she was got fed up with rugby canada and um, chose to you know um, step away mm -hmm. and you know kind of I guess looking through it it's just obviously there's a lot of major cultural issues within the, the team and within the program that stem incredibly deep and ultimately are leading to as it kind of suggests a lot of you know, a lot of very, obviously very unhappy players, a lot of very unhappy staff that appear to be perhaps overworked um, there's a lot of mention about outdated, I guess, outdated management or leadership tactics, a lot of, you know, mentions of like the organization as a whole being, um, they use the term stuck in the past a lot um, throughout the 19 pages. So it's obviously not not really a great outlook. Um, even little things I th like, I think the one thing I did kind of find interesting is like the players mentioning that they don't like living in Langford, which like the Alcheron, um, the Alcheron training center got built, uh, was opened in 2018 and it's in Langford and out of, and, you know, one of the, um, at the end where they say like the recommendations, one of it is mm -hmm. to look, take a hard look at the geographical presence of rugby Canada. And it's like, they pumped a lot of money, um, both rugby Canada from like donations and stuff and like government money into building the Alcheron center to only have it five years later 
to be kind of questioning mm -hmm. um, whether or not it's in a good location is yeah. a fascinating element of it. Well, and, and it's funny. So the one of the things I was going to say was in, 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 so I gave the 12 insights and then there was on the next page, there's 12 recommendations. And actually one of them I was going to say was the last one was talk about um, optimize uh, for or shift rugby Canada's geographical presence. Yeah. And to me, I, I mean, this is an outsider looking into it. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be like there's a very strong East coast, a very strong West coast and kind of a, a center of Canada. That's maybe there's a dead zone for the national team. Um, am, I, am I looking at that correct or am I off on that? Oh, I, I, I wonder, I guess what, what uh, I guess it depends on kind of what you mean by dead zone. I mean, obviously, historically in Canada, BC and Ontario are the two powerhouses mm -hmm. um, as far as provincial rugby. Mm -hmm. um, you know, BC for a long time was, you know, if you look back at the um, like the old school, like the 87, 91, 95 World Cup teams, right? Lots of guys from BC, not too many guys from Ontario, a few guys, mm -hmm. um, maybe somebody sprinkled from a different province. Um, and then like, you know, the power kind of started to shift a lot and like, you know, because of, you know, basically the Ontario blues, which kind of became yeah. a bit of the forerunner to the arrows mm -hmm. um, where they started kind of winning a lot of like the Canadian rugby championships back when that was still, um, you know, a tournament that was going on. I think when I'm kind of reading this though, is like, it is far for yeah. a lot of the players, right? It's in basically the furthest, I don't know. Some uh, somebody that knows a lot about geography will correct me if it is actually the furthest west part of Canada. Um, but like it's, you know, it's obviously it's on an island. Um, they do mention the, the term. One of the terms that was used was isolated, in addition to like expensive, right? So, you know, it, it is kind of interesting that it is out there. There is perhaps I think it mentions a little bit in one of the paragraphs on one of the pages. It mentions a little bit about the double edged sword. And it's like, it probably is one of the few places in Canada where you can play rugby year round, mm -hmm. um, or at least, so that's maybe a positive, but it's like, I guess the point where it gets back to the end is like, does that positive though outweigh what appears to be quite a bit of negatives, but at the other end of it is like, like, I don't, I don't know what the solution to that would be. Cause it's not like you're going to move the building. Yeah. Right. And you know, on, on the USA side, you know, sevens are generally in Chula Vista yeah. Um, 15s usually are practicing in Glendale. Now, the thing about Chula Vista is you could practice all year round, right? Um, yeah. And honestly, I think what the 15 sides of USAR has been relying on is the players playing professionally. Now you see all, especially these women going over to the UK to play professionally and keeping up the tempo. And what they just need to do is have a camp, you know, for a month or two to kind of straighten them out. So you can use Glendale because you could do that strategically. And then for sevens, obviously playing, you know, the mm. entire, you, the, the entire you know length of the year, Chula Vista is optimal for them, but if you don't have that for the rest of your teams, or if, if, if you're just, if you're, you know, Chula Vista is near San Diego, a lot of people can get to it. Your friends can come and visit. Your family yeah. can come and visit on that day off. You can hang with them if you want to. Same thing for Glendale. It's in the middle of the country. You know, it's equal distance for anybody, you know, coming from the outside. So it's, it's in my, in, in terms of we quote unquote fair. Um, so just giving contrast to what USAR has and where they're located. Yeah. I think you, yeah, you know, you come up with great points, and uh, honestly, as the Canadian on the show right now with the insider, I think, you know, it's one of those things um, we're going to hear a lot about from you. But I'm going to give Arminta her two minutes because I, I have a feeling she has something to say about it. 
I do. So I think it's actually a huge warning to USA Rugby because I think it's where we don't want to be. Um, I think that it is, I think that it is shocking that the community doesn't feel committed to Canadian rugby because that really is your bedrock of your grassroots rugby. Because if you don't have a grassroots foundation to work upon, there's nothing you can really do about that. And if they don't have your trust, what, you know, you can't, you can't build upon anything you build is going to, you know, crumble and fall eventually. I also think that it's also very telling that they don't have a plan. Like they just state it out there. Like we don't have a plan. How can you not have a plan? Every single, um, you know, company has a plan. You sit down, you make a three-year plan, you make a five-year plan, you have strategic planning and creating those bridges is what they're, they are there, you know, to do. They're there to connect people from, you know, the community and then building those pathways and, you know, going into high performance rugby. And I think honestly, that's where MLR has really kind of stepped in and said, you know, the arrows have kind of, you know, stepped in, unfortunately, right, um, and said, okay, well, we'll pick up some of this, but Canada's a really big country, and there's only one Canadian team um, where, you know, MLR is kind of picking up um, a lot of that in the U.S. Um, with the different academies, building those bridges, again, to high-performance rugby. There's a difference between, you know, community rugby and high-performance, and once you've kind of built those bridges, then people can, you know, their their pathways for people to continually, continually go across them. Um, and so MLR has the ability to fill that void in the US and where in Canada, you just like, that's so much to ask of one team to say, you know, you, you get the burden of, of doing this for all of Canada, and they can't. And so Canadian rugby really has to step up and figure out how to build that, those bridges, which, you know, are not easy if you don't have the trust of your communities and the backing of your, you know, alumni and, you know, really the people who should be pushing Canadian rugby aren't and don't want to. And so that's really unfortunate because that's, you know, maybe they can figure out a way to kind of, you know, build back that trust and bring them back into um, Canadian rugby because ultimately we need Canadian rugby. We need our friends to the north. We need, you know, them to produce a quality side that we can, you know, have a nice little rivalry against because that's, you know, that's fun. Mm -hmm. um, and that is really important for the health of USA rugby overall in sevens and 15s you know it doesn't matter um yeah so no that's, that's yeah, absolutely <laughs> and i think and i think we can all agree the the attribution of the rising rugby in north america mm -hmm. feeds off of usa canada matches because yeah. you have teams that are relatively at the same level you know world rugby standing when they're going to play each other so a win means something right because it's not like one playing a 20 right so they're at this certain level and as they're peaking the other team's trying to peak and then the other team's yep. trying to peak and they're coming in and playing these matches that are going to be significant, not only to obviously the next rugby world cup set, but just again, building each other up 
and constantly playing each other to get those world rugby points as we know they're very precious especially when you don't get the opportunity to play tier one teams or higher tier two teams because of COVID and things like that. I think the one thing um, you said that was very telling was uh, the similarities in, in the fact that Rugby Canada came out and said they didn't have a plan, right? This was an internal thing. The Board of Gunners decided to do this independent investigation. Essentially, the same thing happened for USAR when they went through their their Chapter 11 stuff, right? Um, yeah. But this was a, this is now saying the courts say your plan sucks, your, your, your finances aren't transparent, so here's your court-appointed finances. Here's your court-appointed plan that you have to follow uh, to meet the standards. So I think, you know, USA Rugby kind of already flipped that switch already in a different way. Um, I think it, it, they've spun it more of a financial crisis mm-hmm. to me. When I was looking at the 12 things, the 12 key air insights uh, to Canada, there's so many similarities between USAR. I went, this is exactly what we went through previously just in a mandated financial situation, you know? So I think it's just two different things. You had the the culture imploding for Canada to push this. You had the finances imploding for USAR that pushed their end. And I'm hoping that we can get everybody back on track and and, and get going. Um, but yeah, no, I, I you hit you hit some some good points there. I mean, <laughs> hammer, it's hammer time, brah. Yes, it is. Uh, so let me just say this: I'd like to commend Rugby Canada for being the willingness to open this wound and pour balm on it and 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 let it burn because that needs to happen. And I think it's for all the things that Armenta, Armenta talked about in regards to, you know, when, when we push each other in North America, rugby improves for us overall. So I think that's important. Um, so I'd like to commend them for doing that. The interesting question is what's next for them, right? They've exposed all these problems, but what's the next step? And I think that's an important thing for them, them to be transparent about if they're going to make this, all transparent, the finances, the cultural elements, et cetera, what's the next step? And so I don't expect that to happen right away, but I certainly am looking forward to hearing what that step is going to be, what the plan is going to look like. What I found interesting is um, there was no high performance vision. They, they, they're they very clear in identifying that. Uh, I also found it interesting that there was no clear um, position on how to prioritize 15s, 7s, men's and women's. And on the piggyback of that, what I also thought very interesting is the men's 15s is the least competitive, but it gets the lion's share of direct funding while the women's 15s is the most competitive and it gets the least share of outside funding. And so it almost, you know, you begin to ask yourself, should, and this might even apply to USA Rugby, because I think in a lot of ways, USA Women's team is far more competitive than the men's on a national, international scale. You know, do you do you try to put money into the women's game, raise the women's game, raise the profile of North American rugby, and then that'll put more eyes in the men's game and you can start to pump that up. And so is, is that part of the plan? Um, I thought it interesting. They have no development system for referees. That's something that's sorely needed in all of North American rugby. We need better refs. And I think that's pretty clear for people that have been watching the MLR um, that we need to improve the refereeing. Um, the location of Langford. I, I want to address this. Um, you guys hit the reasons why it's a problem. One of my thinking is why not have, you don't need to burn down the Al Sharon center, keep it, but can we, can they develop something in the Ontario region? So it's an Eastern Western component. You bring uh, the best of the West together, have them train, work together. You do the same in the East 
And then when you find the best of, of, of that crop, you bring that cream together to organize for, you know, developmental pathways, um, not only at the youth, uh, U23 levels, but then at the senior level. And one last thing I think it needs to be addressed, and that is every international team should do a four-year audit. And whether that's on the piggyback of the Women's World Cup or the Men's World Cup, they need to do an audit and re-examine what they're doing, right? It's like an, it's like a, a loop. You re-examine what you're doing. Is it working? What's not working? What is working? What do you keep? What do you throw out? How do you reconfigure and retool so that you're not always in a constant state of, of um, anxiety that things aren't working? Um, and I think a re-examination of the calendar is important, too, and that is for all North America. We know it's difficult um, to get a consistent uh, rugby calendar going, but I think that's probably where you start. What is the calendar? Um, because the calendar is in crisis, and at least for the U United States, in regards to collegiate rugby, and they could really do a lot to iron some of these pieces out to make it coherent, consistent, and then build all the development pathways from there. Because without a consistent calendar, you can't build development pathways for youth structures because not every youth program will be on that same development uh, you know, calendar to make it unified when kids rise up into that, you know, when the wheat rises from the chaff, so to speak. And so, and it's funny because the first thing they have a, um, they have the current high performance strategy, right? And even though they said they really didn't have a strategy, they did give strategic pillars, and the first strategic pillar was cultivate the community game, provide leadership, and expand capacity for provinces to grow rugby for all. And I think that also goes into the collegiate game, right? And as we're seeing, you know, I meant to talk about the MLR and kind of pushing a little bit for USA Rugby. And it's funny, I see a lot of fans still complaining about, like, what's a team doing for, you know, for USA Rugby? And to be honest the MLR has committed to try and help USA rugby and trying to call cultivate American players to get into the Eagles pathway and rugby Canada's pathway. But their number one thing is financial viability, right? Yep. So it's not their, it's not their job to help support USAR and rugby Canada. In my opinion, rugby Canada and USAR should be out there to, to guys who might have American or Canadian passports that play internationally, you know, grew up in Australia, grew up in New Zealand, grew up in the UK and say, Hey, we have professional rugby here. Now come live in the States you know, or push them to the colleges, come get an education in the States, get an education in Canada. You'll prepare yourself to play top tier rugby in North America. You know, in, in three to five years, you could be on the national team, depending on the pathway and what you choose, you know, what code you're playing. And then also you set yourself up with a great education that you can go back worldwide and use and fall back on in case rugby doesn't work out. Um, the other thing you were talking about, we were talking about um, financials, right? And I found this interesting um, on page seven, they had this graphic. Um, so when they did their auditing, World Rugby prioritizes men, Canadian men's 15s. Mm -hmm. But the Canadian Olymp Olympic Committee. Sevens. Yeah, women's sevens. Women's yeah. sevens have, has had have fire, uh, higher funding. Yeah, And that's I, a problem in the United States, too, is, is the funding component is not from the same source. So you have kind of uh, different interests that have uh, or outside interests that have different concerns and different vision for how they want to see things develop within, in this case, Rugby Canada, but it's the same in the United States too. And it creates a problem, I think, internally when you're trying to develop, a, create a developmental pathway. So it's, I, you're absolutely correct. And I, I, again, I just found that tidbit interesting. Um, I wonder, you know, on the USA side, 
you know, it's both of our teams have been competitive at, at points, you know, so I'm wondering, um, you know, are they, are, is the Olympic committee just looking at it as, oh, this is something we can push, you know, if we push the women's, uh, women's team a little bit more with some funding, you know, maybe we can hit that podium. But I really have a question for Derek. One of the things that they talk about an in insight that um, outside stakeholders liked and what they want replicated. So let me just read this. The outside stakeholders like the concussion management response. Mm -hmm. They see it as superior in the sporting community for Rugby Canada. And what they want to see is they want to replicate that approach um, in other parts of the the health of, of Rugby Canada players. I found I found it interesting that specifically they target you know HIA system, right? But then say it needs to trickle down to the everything else that has to do with uh, player safety. Yeah, um, that's I, I I agree with that too. It's um like rugby um it's a law up here called Rowan's Law, which is basically the uh, concussion protocol. It's like it's a concussion protocol law, and it's uh, that was kind of spearheaded by a lot of the the rugby community due to due to an incident that happened during a rugby game, and it. And uh, so yeah, like I think obviously like you know there's there's been a lot of like. The, the, the rugby Canada does do a really good job of like the concussion protocols and stuff as it does, as that does mention that. Right. And like you said, it's like, we have laws that have been pushed through by the, the rugby Canada community. And, you know, it's, it is one of the, it is probably one of the bright spots. It's like, there's a lot of players that have been, you know, act like, you know, definitely, you know, speaking out in favor of like, you know, increasing that concussion protocol and stuff. And, you know, it's been one of those things that's like when it's happened in rugby, it's kind of transitioned to other sports as well. So, yeah, like it, it is like I don't think I mean, as much as the, the, the I think the other thing, too, that it mentioned and I know that it mentioned that was a positive, too, is it brought up the, the uh, you know, the return of Pacific Pride, which mm -hmm. um, is great because, I mean, as uh, both Rob and Armida um, have mentioned, it's like, you know, you need like academy teams and stuff, too. Right. And you need a development program. Um, to your point as well, Rob, like, I think in saying like, if you can do something, maybe, you know, not get rid of the Al Sharon center, which I don't think is, I don't think that would be possible anyways, but like, yeah, branch out and like spread the wealth across Canada a little bit more. But I think that right now, like the Eastern, like the, the Toronto version of the, uh, the Academy is the Toronto arrows right now. Yeah. Right. Like, and you know, you can probably argue and debate whether, or not that's actually fair to thrust upon the mor team like mm -hmm. should it should it be the like you know should it be the toronto arrows problem to fix rugby canada right is like should that be their responsibility or should their responsibility be to win an mlr shield right yeah. and you know mm -hmm. sell tickets and grow the game that way and increase the brand um but can you do both you can definitely do both you, you know what i'm saying i mean look is it is it development of canadian players mm -hmm. Uh, a net benefit for the Toronto Arrows. If you can develop, oh, sure. you know, five or six or seven players out of that structure that are MLR ready in a year or two years, or you develop, you know, five or six each year, uh, while it helps Rugby Canada, doesn't it help, you know, the Toronto Arrows as well? Yeah. Well, it does. It, it does. The big difference, though, from, like, say, the Pacific Pride program is look at all the guys that go for the Pride and then go end up on other MLR teams. Mm -hmm. right there's a so lot and i can yeah. i can confirm through dougie coil me and doug doug coil uh, yeah. when he does his 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 uh profiles on canadian teams 
lot of them are through the Pacific Pride program. Yeah, I meant to. You were gonna. Our mentor was gonna yeah. say something. I think gaining the trust of the community, honestly, is how the arrows can probably most yeah. help the community because you have to rebuild that trust, and that is not an easy feat after it's been mm-hmm. cracked it, and yeah. you know what I mean, essentially broken. And so I think that they actually will, you know, have a chance to strengthen the community ties to rugby Mm -hmm. and um i mean i I saw like the outpouring of the community that they sent like care packages to Mm -hmm. the arrows last year and you know are really seem to be behind them like a hundred percent and so i feel like you know hang on to whatever you've got (laughs) and if you've got the arrows then you know build on that i mean and talking about hey everybody it's the big guy i'm here to talk to you about our partner Aversio Wellness. Aversio means change. Their mission is to change lives through fungi. Functional mushrooms are having a moment in 2022 because they offer two things that we all need most right now. The first thing is long-term stress support. The second thing is long-term immune support. Right now, many athletes have a secret weapon. They're powered by mushrooms. Warrior can be taken daily to help your body utilize more oxygen efficiently by improving lung capacity and enhancing blood flow. The big guy takes it. The hammer takes it and tie the Safa Braga take it. Cordyceps Mushroom Extract is the ideal addition to your routine if you're looking to optimize energy and endurance. So do us a favor, go to aversiowellness.com and get 15% off your entire order by using the code RANT15. And that way, when you order your Balance or your Chill or your Awaken, your Defend or your Warrior products, you can get 15% off. Help us help you. Go to aversiowellness.com, use the code RANT15, Get your 15% off. Tell them the big guy sent you. I mean, in talking about the community part, one of the things was guys uh, were wearing their club socks during matches, right? So it was a regional thing. It was really cool. Um, But, you know, I think um, one of the things maybe Rugby Canada and and Toronto should look to do, you know, we just recently had Giltini's. Their curtain raiser was, you know, a couple uh, sevenths matches, matches, excuse me, uh, versus the Eagles versus women's Eagles versus – I'm, I'm blanking Scotland, Australia. Australia. Australia, Australia, you know, and I, and I think one of the doing something like that, obviously they can't now cause they're, they're in their next um, sevens uh, rotation, but you know, on the next break or, you know, they, there should be some forward thinking on how to merge MLR with some of these was, sevens teams. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say uh, the arrows do do a lot of like, um, there's like club teams will play at halftime, especially like kids and stuff. So it's like, um, I guess that's more like that's growing the community, uh, the community outreach and stuff. And I think like people, the rugby community around here um, loves the arrows as kind of mm-hmm. evident by, as you said, like the care packages and stuff being sent, being sent down York Lions Stadium. Um, it's a good thing that it doesn't have a roof because there wouldn't be one after the first two minutes <laughs> in the game anyways. Um, that's the you know, that's going to be crazy when they finally come back home this week. Yep. And, um, that, that's going to be insane. New stadium. Um playing very well right now too um you know with considering the fact that like you know they're on there's a lot to be excited about with that team considering where their record is before they're even playing any proper home games Mm -hmm. and um so that'll be good and i think like the arrows have done a great job like to be honest like done a great job like raising that um public profile like we watched um rugby canada when they were doing the men's uh, world cup qualification was on a i'm 
trying to remember what it was even called, but it was some like it was on like a separate channel entirely. You had to pay, I think it was like $15 to watch the game. And that was all you got. You just got the one opportunity. Yeah. Right. You could watch the replay of it, but you can watch the one game. You had to pay another $15 to watch the other game. Whereas like the arrows have, you know, got rugby on TSN, Mm -hmm. which is one of the two biggest sports broadcasters in the country. Right. Um, and you know, even though the majority of the games aren't on TV and stuff, they are all on like the website and TSN is slowly starting to integrate, um, some actual rugby content, um, through the like MLR content on their website too. You can see that pop up every now and then. Um, so the arrows doing a great job building that, but yeah, it, it somehow has to transition to, I guess if people are excited about the arrows, maybe that, maybe that gets them excited about rugby Canada. But I think right now, the rugby community is kind of separating the arrows the as two, like, yeah. and rugby Canada as like we yeah. the arrows are like the super positive doing doing a lot of things right right now and rugby Canada is kind of and well and why is that I I guess I'd say it comes back to that cultural element of yeah. one of the three pieces that they identify mm-hmm. in the report that's problematic right and I think that's one of the things that Toronto arrows have gotten they've done super well is yeah. they've 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 created a culture that's been positive. Mm-hmm. Um, they've created a, a, a situation where they've, it, they've invited the fans in, they've done a lot of things to ingratiate themselves to the fans. And the question for rugby Canada is how do you do that? You know, it was kind of shocking a couple of years back when rugby Canada hired Rob Holly, like I loved Rob Holly. I watched him a ton when he played for Wales, mm-hmm. but on the heels of the, the gambling scandal that kind of chased him out of Wales, mm-hmm. you know, was that the right hire culturally did that send the right message about the coaching structures and yeah. the cultural elements within rugby Canada? Well, I think, I think the thing is now at this point, we they've done the research independently reviewed. Mm. And I think the, the biggest thing is, is coming back to what you were saying and their insights. The last thing is, is the positive, right? Change is possible. And many hope to be a part of it. I think all you guys have really had great, uh, Derek has one more thing. Go for it. I was just saying quick, well, just, just based on that though, like there's, like your 60 people, second TikTok go people in Canada love rugby. Like the rugby community in Canada is really strong. It's just like the opinion of rugby Canada at the moment is incredibly mm-hmm. low, but in saying that it's like, so I completely believe that there's a ton of people within rugby Canada, within the community as a whole that want to be part of the change and, you know, help ri- have rugby Canada rise, you know, to the top again, be like 10 years ago, we were on the verge of the top 10. We ranked 11th in the world in 2011. Right. And for the men's team anyways. And but the question right now to me is not like who wants to be a part of that change. It's as Rob said, what is the next steps? And that next step is not just who wants to be a part of that change, but who deserves a chance to be part of that change. And where are one of the things that the review mentions is new voices. So where do you find the new people to also come in and how, how do you also determine out of the rugby Canada staff that's currently there who deserves to stay? Well, that's going to be a tough question to ask, but I think the tougher question is like, so are we move in the facility to Moose Jar, are we move it to Winnipeg, like what century located, you know, are we going to Regina, where are we going with the, with, with the location? Um, I guess, I guess we'll find out if, 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 you know, if, if their current location is, is found that much lacking and, and it is a cultural issue to that's going, coming down, the players are going to need to make a change, but this has been a great topic, everybody real quick. We're going to uh, get a word from our sponsors. 
Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, and it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or a dark bale-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. Big guy Scott Ferrari, you got Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and we actually have one of our favorite segments, the Run, Pass, or Kick interview. And this week, we have Rugby New York, Sam Windsor. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Doing great, Sam. Good. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. And, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, um, and if you're an MLR fan, you should know. Um, I mean, Sam's been in the MLR since his inception, uh, moving over to Rugby New York, um, recently getting his 50th Major League Rugby cap. Um, and I'm sure that'll be, a, there's a question in there somewhere. I, I have a feeling Rob is going to suss out a question. I wonder if it's going to have to do with one of his teammates who also got the 50th cap on the same day, I wonder. But anyway, um, and so Sam, uh, starting uh, his, his professional career at Ulster, then going to New South uh, Wales uh, Country Eagles, then the Houston Sabercats, and now playing for the Roosters, baby. Very excited. Um, but before we actually get to the, to the questions, Rob, tell the fans how the run passer kick works. All right, run pass or kick interview style works like this. We're going to throw about uh, 15 questions at Mr. Windsor here. And with each question, we're going to preface it with run, pass, or kick. So he has an option just like any good fly half. He's going to have to weigh his choices carefully. And his first choice, he can run with it. And so if Sam tells us he's going to run, that means he's going to answer the question straight up and go ahead and, and run with that one. But he could opt to pass it, which is to suggest that it's too hot to handle. He wants to give that one to somebody else down the line and uh, let that one be, or he can have a little fun with us, put us on the back foot, put us on the defensive, make us work for our money, so to speak, and he can kick a question. And what that means when he kicks a question is that we're going to answer in his stead. We're going to answer in the way that we think Sam would answer the question. And he, can, he can have fun with us. He can grade us out, tell us we were shite, tell us we were spot on, uh, give us some kind of evaluation or follow up with any kind of context that he wants to provide. But nonetheless, this interview is in Sam's hands. So, Sam Windsor, are you ready for the run, pass, or kick interview challenge? I am. Can't wait. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Perfect. So, I have the honor of throwing the first one out there and like many of our fans know, I'm a bit of a social media hound. I do a deep dive, and this one is no different. So on your Twitter account, I was checking it out, and it states, and I love this one, 
officially states coffee snob, appreciator of sneakers, and lover of all sports. And I got to tell you, two of the three ain't bad. Nevertheless, here's my question, Run Pastor Kick. What is your best coffee experience? Every one of us has that one coffee experience that we want to go back to anytime we have a cup of, and I want to know what your best coffee experience is. I'm going to, uh, I'll start off with a kick because I'll be interested to hear uh, hear what Scott's opinion of what my best coffee experience would be. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'll put it to, I'll put it this way. I think probably, and it's, it hasn't happened yet, right? I think one day you and your lovely wife are going to wake up it's going to be, you know, Saturday, so you don't have a, you know, you have a match on Sunday, a home match down in Hoboken. Um, Saturday, you're waking up. It's a little bit early, and all of a sudden, you're going to see that sunrise start to creep over uh, Manhattan across the river there. And what's going to happen is, as it's coming up, it's, everything's going to glimmer. The Hudson's going to glimmer. You know, the Long Island Sound's going to glimmer, and you're just going to drink that cup and be like, man, this is a good decision in my rugby journey to make. Not bad. Not bad. That is, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. And we actually, our apartment has a nice sort of, I guess it faces south. So we have east and west views. So we get both the great sunset and the great sunrise. And I have watched the sun come up with a cup of coffee in the last couple of months, which I do appreciate. But my greatest coffee moment, I guess, was I grew up working in a cafe, started in the dishes, built my way up, you know, worked my way up to, to becoming, you know, a barista of sorts, if you like. And then that's kind of where my passion for coffee started. So I couldn't tell you one great memory or moment of, of my coffee journey, if you like, but just, just learning how to make a, a good flat white for those that uh, are uneducated in the world of coffee. A flat white is about an eight ounce coffee with you know, a double shot of espresso and then some steamed milk uh, on top. And you'll see nice. latte out on top, if you like. So um, just being, just having a love for coffee is, is an experience for me in itself. So New York is filled coffee spots were found everyone here in jersey city as well so uh finishing training going with the boys sitting out in the sun when it's out and, and just having a flat white and, and chewing the fats always a great experience the sun yeah, on, but uh mostly yeah coffee time with the boys is always good yeah no definitely one you know hanging out with your teammates outside of that you know high performance environment is always good just to bullshit and you know kind of laugh a little bit because i know sometimes marty can can get on you a little bit <laughs> uh, but it's funny. The other thing is the quintessential coffee experience in New York City, not joking, small coffee, milk, no sugar, and a butter roll, not the flat white, not the, you know, anything else from a coffee shop. It's so funny. You know, as a kid, you know, my father working in Manhattan, that was yeah. everybody in his office, small coffee, milk, no sugar, and a butter roll. And yeah. now it's turned into this, the, the, the way coffee has changed and the way the coffee culture uh, has changed. And now you're going and you're getting some of these more quote unquote complicated things. Yeah. And it's it's awesome. I like the way that you listen, you perfect your craft on the field with your kicks. You perfect your coffee, you know, and uh, personally to oh, so, there's a whole cupboard filled with all sorts of different coffee gadgets to make me a pour over a drip, an aeropress. Yeah. Well he got, he got group, the whole classic American drip is good. That's what most of my days begin with. So Awesome. Uh, working well to an espresso machine, yeah. pretty soon. Big guy, you're going to have to go over to Sam's apartment and have him <laughs> have him throw down some serious coffee vibe on you, dude. I don't. Well, I mean, I was also told by his wife I should hug him. So I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I'm crossing a line by hugging him and coming, you know, banging on his door having coffee. But let's go to the second question, and it, and it has to do with that last part of your Twitter byline: lover of all sports. Run yep. pass or kick? If you could be a professional in any other sport, what would it be? Oh, um, 
my wife will hate me for this. She's sitting in the living room so she can hear me, but probably golf. Ooh. I heard a little chuckle. So uh, <laughs> where, I grew up, where I grew up back in, in, in Australia, a little town called Bungadol, mum and dad have about a 10-acre block in the middle of nowhere and there's a lake frontage. Sometimes there's water in the lake, sometimes there's not. There's actually water in it at the moment, which is great. Okay. Uh, and so our front lawn was the perfect driving range. So, you know, we from the age of I don't know, 10 or 12 or something, you'd be out there with dozen balls just smacking them aimlessly out onto the lake bed and then going to try and find as many as you came back. So, <laughs> I started playing golf from a young age, but it probably wasn't until uh, I was coming out of high school. I used to play once a week with some high school mates and then dropped off for a while until I moved to Houston and got back into it a little more seriously. So um, Houston is you know, filled with great golf courses and then through the rugby world, you always meet people and they're always connected through golf somehow. It's you know, the best deals are done on the golf course most of the time. So um, great way to escape. It's obviously a challenging sport. You and the ball, it's a, you know, not so much of a team sport, but um, being professional at golf and being that good, like those guys are ridiculously good at golf, is that'd be pretty special. I mean, that, that sounds like another thing you're trying to perfect. I mean, I think this is a theme building in Sam Windsor and <laughs> his hobbies and his professional life. Like, try and do those things that you're always striving for, for perfection for. You can always make the next one better. I draw comparisons from from some you know a golf swing to a, to a goal kick. Right? There's a lot of oh, things that you can obviously yeah. do completely different actions, but at the same time, a lot of different the, actions, but the similar process, right? A mental process. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this, you know, you set up, your stance, your approach, right. your follow through. You know, the, the way the body moves at different angles and different timings and stuff. And um, so, in a way, playing golf has helped me goal kick, and goal kicking, in a way, has also helped me try and find a fairway. Absolutely. I I moved to a house and a golf course a couple of years ago, and I I got to dive back up to the to a green, and it's it's awesome. It's a you know, there's a bit of serenity. Uh, to golf, you know, in between uh, when you're trying to crush the ball, you get a bit of serenity, you know, whether it's walking or driving on a beautiful day, you just get to enjoy the outdoors. And it's wonderful having that right out uh, outside my my backyard. It's brilliant. Nice. Now the weather's finding up. So I think a few of us will be out on those off days when yeah. the bodies are good enough to swing a club and we don't get in trouble. We'll go out. And get a few more. <laughs> so you've been talking a little bit about your mates and I just want to address that just a bit with this next question, because uh, just a few weeks ago, you reach your 50th cap in Major League Rugby along with a teammate, Dylan the Butcher Fawcett, run pass or kick. How significant of a milestone is this? Yeah, I'm running this one back. This is um, pretty special to me. Um, traveling all over the world playing rugby, you know, affords you, you know, certain privileges, if you like, and no, no bigger privilege than actually playing the game. Um, so going from Australia to Europe, back to Australia, back to Europe, back to Australia. And then when, when I was in Ulster, I didn't get a lot of on-field time with, with the first team. So you know, you're training day in, day out, six days a week, more often, you know, most of the weeks. And you don't get to play, you know, you get to go out and play maybe some club games and stuff, which is always great fun. And the club atmosphere is, is, is what rugby's built on. But, but as a professional, you want to be playing at the top of the game, right? And that's where I believe is you develop the most as a player. So I kind of, got frustrated in Ulster that I wasn't getting as much game time as I wanted. Um, and it kind of, you know, dragged me away from the love of the game and why I sort of played, played the game. So coming to, coming to America, so there was, was a double barrel decision. If you like, my wife was American. She was living out in the States at the time. She just spent six months with me in Belfast. So she'd moved back and we're engaged. So there was always long-term plans in place, but um, pro rugby had just finished. So 
I did my homework and knew that probably wasn't going to get back off the ground. But from the whispers and the murmurs of people that I spoke to, professional rugby was around the corner in America. So it was a bit of a gamble for me to come out here, um, but an educated one at that. So for me, it was to be involved at the start of something and, and take experiences from my past and, and help it, you know, help the game out here. But just to get back to playing rugby on a regular basis at a high level and, and, and just enjoying the game again. So uh, to play one game was great. And then to get 50 the other week against NOLA was, was, was super special to me um, because it was never really a goal when I set out to play as many games as I could in this league. It was just to play competitive rugby and grow the game in the States. So to get 50 is obviously great. And to do it with uh, alongside Dylan, someone who I'd played against, you know, all, all four seasons, someone who we had a mutual respect for each other, but probably didn't know a lot about. Um, and you know, Dylan was questioning some of the decisions of the recruiting staff as to why they recruited <laughs> me from Houston, because, you know, we're coming from a terrible, you know, or rep, you know, our record spoke for itself. We weren't you know, a great team. So he's like, well, you know, why, why Sam, you know, who's this bloke? So um, Dylan and I got to know each other quite well. Um, we'd be good mates now. So to have that moment and share it with him was, was pretty special. And, and the fact the league sort of, I have it here actually. It was, this was a complete accident. I got this on the weekend, but they're actually presenting these. Oh, caps. These caps to, uh, nice. Let's get a close up of that, Sam. Yeah. So the first. Oh, brilliant. The first, the first 50 players to reach 50 caps get these commemorative MLR uh, caps, cool. which was pretty special. So, um, yeah, good little memento, something that, you know, is going to live with me forever. And uh, as I said, it's, you know, it was a privilege to play one game and, and, and to get 50 is even special. So, don't think I'll make it to 100. But um, I'm on um, but yeah, I'm just grateful to to be fit and playing and and, and loving my time here in, in New York. It was almost a, a refresher for me coming from Houston, where I had a bit on too much on my plate to to really focus on the footy. Whereas New York is a is a fresh start for me. Just did, to, did you and Butch split a bottle of champagne when you got after you got your caps presented to you? Uh, I wouldn't say we split a bottle of champagne. We shared a couple of beers, that's for sure, uh, <laughs> which is probably just as good. No one had any bubbles on standby, actually, so that's maybe something <laughs> we'll have to organize better next time. Oh, man, you must be a mind reader because our next question was actually going to be, how did the journey into the league start? Yeah. And you kind of already answered it. So I have a different question. Sure. So uh, this past uh, week against Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, the, the weather was crazy, right? So yeah. as a fan, it was going right to left one second mm-hmm. left to right to the other second so as a kicker what kind of mental process do you go through when you're trying to set up a kick knowing that at any moment the direction of the wind can change it's it's something i was working with a couple of the boys the other day uh, you know we've had some injuries and some guys have been on the bench so we actually some of our first choice kickers haven't been available to everybody to every, any rugby player will take the opportunity to pick the tee up and say, oh, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Um, but I've kind, of, I've kind of self-taught, so I kind of feel like I know my way around tee and how to kind of change some things and make it work. So uh, I was working with, I think it was Jace Emery, who was uh, kicked really well for us against New Orleans. And it was quite windy at training the other day. And you know, he set up to allow for the wind. And it's, it's almost a case of, unless it's blowing and absolutely, unless it's howling, like it was at times at the weekend, you almost just have to ignore the wind a little bit and just trust trust your strike and trust the flight of the ball is going to be short enough that the wind shouldn't impact it too much. Um, if you start worrying about, well, I need to put it five more yards to the right because that wind's blowing this direction, so that way it'll come back in and and, and go through the post. So um, 
it's a case by case. You know, you try to block it out as best you can. And if you just trust your, your processes and, and the strike of the ball, it should more or less stay straight. But there have been times where, you know, I've either ridden it left to right and let it blow it back in or you get a nice gust, which kind of just scrapes it inside the upright. So uh, the more you think about the wind, the more it will probably have an effect on your kick. So I just try and block it out and just try and kick them straight. Got it, Mental games, baby. Mental games. Yeah, all, that's all it is. Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about your experience in the MLR, having started in Houston and spent four seasons there, and just touched briefly upon you know the struggles uh, there down in Houston. Uh, with this next question, I want to delve a little bit into that transition from Houston to uh, rugby New York. Um, run pass or kick? What precipitated your departure from Houston? Can you touch upon that at all, or are you willing to? Yeah, I'll run that one back. That's it's not a. Um, I was pretty. I wouldn't say vocal, but I was honest um, in a couple of interviews about why I, why I left Houston. Um, and it was my contract was up. Um, you know, I, again, we you know we hadn't had many successful seasons, and as as hard as it was to kind of, you know, I would have happily loved. I would have loved to retire to one club. Man, I'm quite a loyal guy. I don't like to. You know, I've never really moved team to team. Even you know, in all the places I've been, it's always sort of been for the the one team in that league or that city. Um, but things just didn't quite align for me and I couldn't see myself enjoying my rugby uh, in the direction that they were going. Um, and at my age, it was, you know, I didn't want to spend the last year or two of my career, you know, despising the game that has given me so much. So um, my wife, she's from North Carolina originally. Um, she's lived all over the States, but her sister lived in New York. She's got a lot of friends that live in New York. So I, Ultimately, I said to her, you know, where, where do you want to go? She wasn't happy in Texas. She wanted to change. Um, so I kind of gave her an option, you know, the decision as to, you know, where do you want to go in America? You know, where do you want to live? So she's quite close with her sister in New York for us. Uh, we love coming here. We've, we've traveled here a bit and had some great times here. Um, I'd spoken with with Rick and, and with Marty and, and knew a few boys here. Charlie Hewitt was here, uh, who I played with at Houston. Um, and the way they wanted to play the game and the, the, the culture they were building around the club was, was probably what drew us here or was, you know, the, the ceiling factor in it. Um, and now my wife's the happiest she's ever been. She's really enjoying her work. She's loving the city. She's got a great group of girlfriends. Uh, they, you know, all, the club almost looks after the partners you know, better than they do the players just because they know that that's, you know, that's as important as us being healthy and happy is, is, is our partners and the people we live with being healthy and happy as well. So, um, it was sad to leave Houston. I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll be honest with that. It was, it was a special place, and I gave a lot to to the team and the city. And I still have a lot of fond memories and, and great friends down there. But when you know, you know. And I think it was the time was right for me to, to go and, and explore another part of this great country and enjoy playing my rugby. Sometimes a change in pace just makes all the difference in the world. And I think it's rather interesting, you know, in your wisdom, Sam, that you just talk about knowing that, and then also knowing that you still want to enjoy your rugby. Um, you know, because as you said, you know, you've got some a few years left, but you want to enjoy those years to the best of your possibility, uh, to the best of your ability. And of course, you know, having a wife that's still supportive and having her enjoy where you guys are at makes it all the better. And we're so glad to hear that you're finding yourself in a pretty good place and in the next phase of your career. Yeah, thank you. We're loving it. Awesome. And fans, you know, if you want to check out more of this interview, you want to check out the quick tap. Go to patreon.com forward slash rugby ramp pod to check out the next 10 questions we're going to ask Sam. Trust me, you're going to want to join up and watch. Um, so join up again, patreon.com forward slash rugby ramp pod. It only costs you $3 a month. That's less than a beer in Manhattan. 
Sam's know Sam knows what I'm talking about, man. Those less than a cup of coffee, man. Less than a cup. Yeah, less, less than, than a cup exactly. <laughs> yeah, less than a flat white. You can get all the RPKs in their entirety. You can get both rugby rants, including when we announced the winner of the rugby rant, only three dollars a month. I mean, we're talking about eight, eight episodes worth of exclusives that you can get. Uh, fans, thank you so much for watching this episode, episode 88 of the Rugby Rant, and we'll catch you at the next.